Welcome into the Duck Territory podcast, Matt Prem and Eric Scopel across the way. Hey guys. And we're talking just duck basketball. This is the first podcast we've done basically where all we're doing is basketball coverage. It's bye week for football, season opener for basketball on Friday against Coppin State, 9 p.m. Tip off at Matthew Knight Arena, late start on the Pac-12 Networks to kick off the 2017-2018 season. But we figured... Uh, this was a perfect time for segueing into our, our coverage into, into basketball. We're, we're still primarily focused on football until football season is over, but now we're, we're doing double duty here a little bit. Um, if you want to listen to us on Facebook and you want to listen to us when we do these podcasts live and, and join in on the discussion, or if you are listening to us right now on Facebook Live, Go to uh, facebook.com slash Oregon247, like our page, you'll get notifications. Uh, we've got about 15 or so people in here right now uh, already listening live as we do these podcasts. And so it's a chance for you guys to uh, drop in your questions, uh, join the discussion of this of this show, um, and then you can go back and listen to it there as well before we get them up, updated. You also can find us on iTunes by just searching for the Duck Territory Podcast. Um, and we're going to go over a couple things we're not really going to break down Coppin State because look, it's it's Coppin State. I, I don't even know Coppin's not a state in the United States. It's so. not. You're, I, think, I think you're onto something, Matt. Good geography. So you know, we're not going to break down Coppin State. So if you're looking for that Coppin State breakdown, this isn't your, this isn't your place. But yep. we're going to talk about Oregon's uh, preseason expectations, where they were picked in the media poll, whether that's fair or not. Uh, we're we're going to talk about where we think they will finish within the Pac-12 going this season. Uh, our concerns and our, our thoughts of where this team should be good uh, on the court going into the year. And then um, we're also going to go into looking at projecting the starting lineup. Eric and I and, you know, what we're hearing, kind of what we think is best uh, for Oregon. And then we're going to make some bold picks and then we'll go into a little bit of recruiting. Today is Wednesday when we're recording this. That's the first day of National Signing Day for the early fall period. Uh, Ducks have already made some moves uh, signing period early on. Uh, we'll discuss that at length towards the end as well. But going into this this season, Eric, one starter back from last season's Final Four team, uh, the team that won their second straight Pac-12 regular season title, that's Peyton Pritchard. Uh, they've added a couple graduate transfers. They've added a couple key recruiting pieces. Uh, and going into the year, though, um, I felt like this was a sign that, you know, Oregon's starting to get their respect because they literally lost everything. <laughs> outside of Peyton Pritchard from last year's team, and yet they're picked fourth in the Pac-12 behind Arizona, USC, UCLA, and they're they're just outside the top 25. I don't think it's fair to rank them in the top 25, no. or maybe maybe you disagree. No, I, I, I think right now there's just too many question marks, and, and that's probably why uh, I think they're picked about 40th or something in terms of the number of picks they, they, they received um, in the AP poll that just came out last week. Um that seems reasonable just because, I mean, there's so many question marks. that They lose eight of their top nine guys from last year's team. The three players they returned to, which basically were very infrequently played. I know Keith Smith had some good moments in the Final Four loss to North Carolina, but Peyton Pritchard is kind of the only familiar face, you know, on a team that has had so much success, and yet they're picked fourth. And that's a huge vote of confidence, I think, for what Dana Altman has done over the last couple of years and, and what he kind of looks to be doing going out of line, and that kind of ties in with the recruiting stuff and the success that they've had there. But um, certainly Oregon has established itself as kind of one of the premier basketball programs in the Pac-12, and that's reflected in that ranking. Um, and I could see them 
maybe doing better than that. And the, I mean, the kind of the the record right now for Dana Altman is that he and, and his program does better than whatever the Pac-12 rankings kind of have said, with right. the exception of last year when they were picked first and finished first and couldn't do any better than that. So I, I would not be at all surprised. You know, you mentioned the three teams ahead of them. A lot of distractions for all three. You know, if you if you haven't been following basketball right now, the FBI has, has investigated um, both Arizona and USC, and then yesterday UCLA embroiled in kind of a really bizarre scandal where three true freshmen were uh, arrested for shoplifting in China as they prepare for their opener on Friday. So we don't know about the eligibility of a number of players on a number of teams here, and, and all of those teams are, are, are picked ahead of Oregon. And maybe there's a scenario where the dominoes fall where Oregon kind of unexpectedly performs, you know, well enough to, to win the conference again. And I don't think we would have said that a couple months ago if not for all these distractions, but certainly the talent is there. Um, you mentioned Peyton Pritchard and the graduate transfers, but I think that true freshman group of, of Troy Brown, Kenny Wooten, VJ Bailey, and Abu Kijab are, are going to be, you know, big in terms of getting this program kind of directed in the right direction. Yeah, Pac-12 is in a weird state, I think. Um, going in, like you said, Arizona was picked by many to be the best team in the country. We're not far and above the best team in the Pac-12. They got every single vote besides one pick mm-hmm. uh, for the Pac-12 uh, preseason number one ranking. Uh, USC is the only other team that got one vote, and I don't honestly I don't know why you would even vote them number one because it's it was such a wide margin. But then, and they were also viewed, like you said, literally one, as one of the three teams everyone was talking about to win it all. Yeah. Um, and then they've got this now this FBI investigation. Uh, they've fired an assistant coach because of that FBI investigation. They've lost um, a potential recruit already. From that investigation, they've got a huge cloud hanging over this program. Um, and then USC was also tied into that. They lost a recruit for the 2018 class. No names yet. You know, uh, they've also fired the assistant coach uh, that was associated with that. And then UCLA, I quite honestly wouldn't have put them ahead of Oregon. Um, What's that? I just feel like Lonzo Ball, Hamilton. Um, Alford, those three guys. TJ Leaf, similar guy. T- yeah, TJ Leaf as well. You know, they lost a ton of talent. Mm-hmm. And I think while they brought in some talent, that's probably a little bit better than, than, than Dana Altman's, um, class coming in on paper at least. I think the coaching aspect right. of, of Miller, I mean, of, of Alford and, and Altman, there's no comparison there. Um, I think Altman is a way better coach. He gets way more out of, out of his team's uh, than Alfred does, and I would have just, I would have probably put Oregon third. I understood why. Yeah. I, you know, I totally get it. Um, I would have put Oregon third in, in, in the rankings. Uh, I just don't, and, and they too now have a huge cloud over, over their shoulder <laughs> yeah, of yeah. this Leangelo Ball arrest over in China. Um, but then behind them, I, you know, Stanford's getting a lot of hype preseason wise, but I don't necessarily think I think they're going to be good. I like Stanford a lot. I, I probably like Stanford more than most. Yeah, I think you're higher than on them than I am. But just like with Arizona State and uh, to an extent Oregon State as well, those three schools, I look more at them as show me before I can fully buy in because they're programs who haven't had a lot of success and they're being projected to have huge years. And I, I'm just kind of wondering, is it because – you know, 
they just have seniors on their teams and people are or they just have, you know, really good recruiting classes coming in, but they're not traditional schools that have, you know, consistent recruiting classes that come in and, you know, I'm just not on board yet. I need to see the proof is in the pudding, per se, of, of, of if these schools are legit or not. I, I think, you know, with Oregon, if they come in and, you know, we, we've seen them play, uh, you've seen them play twice, I've seen them play once, it's very clear this team is as athletic as they've ever been, uh, as long as they've ever been, um, and as positionless as they've ever been in, in, in Dana Altman's system. And while I don't think they could contend and you could go out there and say, oh, yeah, they're going to beat Arizona and win the conference, you know, I think there's a real possibility that Arizona and, and Oregon uh, meet in the Pac-12 championship game for the second time in two years and for the third time in, what, four? Mm-hmm. Uh, for the right to win the conference championship and the automatic bid. I, I just I think this team's a lot better than we were anticipating this early on. Yeah, and I, I actually was interesting. I watched a little bit of UCLA play an exhibition game last week, and I was kind of like struck by how much was missing. I guess I hadn't completely understood that. Gosh, they lost just like Oregon the majority of that roster, and they, and they did bring in some good players, some players that we don't know now. If the, I mean Cody Riley, um, you know his name's not necessarily attached to that shoplifting story as much because you know the Ball family is, is such headline catching you know name at this point, but. He's probably going to be, depending on if he's available, one of their top players this year, and you know, and and he's a name that not a lot of people knew, and, and now you wonder if he's even going to be available. So, right. um, I, I I think Oregon certainly feels like a team that can once again finish in the top three. I think they've done that in the Pac-12 each of the last six years. I think the only year that they've they've fallen below third um, was Dana's first year, and that was a, a clear rebuilding season where somehow he miraculously got 20 wins out of that team, which was. <laughs> Basically, you know, four four quality players and a, a handful of rec guys. So, um, yeah, I think I think there certainly is optimism for this team. And, and having watched them in, in exhibition play, I agree. There, there's just so much length and, and upside for this group that, um, that 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 they do reach their potential. Which Dane Altman has a great track record of of, of kind of leading his teams down that road. Um, you know, in February and March, then look out, they're going to they're going to be pretty scary. Right. Um, what. I kind of kind of gave my take already. Are you anticipating that they finish higher? Yes. Than than fourth. I yeah. I think you can pencil them in for for third. I think I just like I said. I mean the the trend has been that Oregon has finished in the top three every year right. for the last six years, and I don't see why that wouldn't take place once again this year. And I could see them being tied for third with Stanford, with Stanford, or UCLA, or something weird like that as well. What I guess what's the limit or what's what is keeping them from Finishing second or finishing first. They're two-time Pac-12 regular season champs. Um, Obviously, this team is completely different than the two teams that won the regular season championships in back-to-back seasons. But, you know, college basketball, that's where we're at these days. It's rare to get the same team two years in a row. I think two things for me. One is the continuity that you just spoke to. You know, you look at Arizona and USC, and I think one of the strong points they have is that they, they do return a lot of key players that have played quite a few minutes together. I mean, Arizona's got... Trier and Alkins and a bunch of big guys from last year in USC's got that core of um, Shemezi Metu and uh, who's the point guard? I'm blanking on his name. McLaughlin. McLaughlin and, 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 th- and that group that have been there now together for three or four years. So um, I, I, I think those teams have that going for them. And I think the other thing that those teams have that Oregon probably doesn't right now is just the size up front. And that and that's not going to change the continuity part. You know, Obviously that can improve throughout the course of the season just through minutes and playing together, but the size thing is not going to change. Although we, there is some positive news about kind of that situation because 
in the exhibition games, they had just one player six foot ten or taller, and it's, it sounds like Matt that they've that another player remains part of that team that wasn't considered. Yeah, to be I mean, and, and so last week or uh, what was it, two weeks ago, when they had that exhibition game against Idaho. Um, Prior to that, we had reported that MK, MJ Cage, a redshirt freshman, top 100 recruit, um, was away from the team. He hadn't officially left, but he was away from the team, yeah. kind of evaluating his situation if he wanted to continue playing basketball in general. It wasn't a playing time issue. It wasn't a you know disgruntled with a coach type deal. He just wasn't sure if he was going to play. He wanted to continue playing basketball. Uh, he'd been away from the team for about a week, week and a half, and then uh, we reported actually today – uh, as of 11:18, when we recorded this podcast, 11:8, excuse me, um, that Cage has actually rejoined the team the last couple of days. He actually made the trip to Oklahoma, uh, to Nevada, when they played against the Oklahoma Sooners on the fourth of, Neva- of November against that in that secret air quotes scrimmage uh, against the Sooners, and he, he played in that game and had a pivotal role in Oregon winning that secret scrimmage. Um, he's now back. I think he provides, like you said. There's not a lot of size on this team. He's Oregon's tallest player. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's vastly improved his offensive game, and he's, you know, strikingly long. Mm-hmm. He, he is very similar, very close to what Chris Boucher uh, length was with wingspan and, and standing reach and what have you. I think he's a little bit taller than Boucher was, but uh, Boucher was longer, yeah. obviously, but. You know he's not far behind. He's he could provide some interior presence that Oregon was desperately needing, and you know it's tough to ask a redshirt freshman you know to step right in and do what Chris Boucher is, and they're not the same player. Um, but maybe he can replicate some of the rebounding performances that a Boucher provided. Yeah, I think I think this is a big win because back in in March, I'm not sure we said it on a podcast, but I'm sure we wrote about it. And if you followed our site, you would you would recognize it. Oregon had, you know, basically three true post players that they, they, they were hoping to have on the roster. Right. One of which was five-star Brandon McCoy. He ended up picking UNLV. He's not on the team. The other was Cavell Bigby-Williams, who elected to transfer. He's no longer on the team. And MJ Cage, up until about less than a week ago, there were, there were uncertainties about whether he'd be on the team. So for Oregon, if they would have gone 0 for 3 with three crucial big players, boy, that would have been really tough to overcome. So I think, you know, at least they salvaged it. They got one of the three. Um, Cage is a guy who I think will will be big in terms of at the very least he's fouls down low against right. the big guys and he can and he can you know contest shots and, and and grab rebounds so I think that's a win and maybe put some of those concerns at ease but I still want to see them go up against a team with a, a true big man and I'm not sure that's going to take place. There's not really um, one in the pack. I mean Stanford has Travis Reed who gave problems Reed to Travis, Oregon. Yeah. Uh, yeah, Reed Travis who he gave tons of problems to Oregon's team last year. Yeah. Uh, I particularly remember the game in Palo Alto where he <laughs> was just unstoppable yeah. um, when they, Oregon had Boucher and Bell together and Cavell Bigby-Williams. Um, DeAndre Ayton from from Arizona is seven-footer and you know arguably a guy that's going to be the number one pick or the number two pick. He'll be up there, top five uh, for sure. You know, and this is a year, it's back-to-back years kind of where the 2018 NBA draft is, is probably going to have three or four guys that any other year they're the number one pick. Yeah, uh, and the next year it's going to be this pretty much the same deal. Um, but Aiden's one of those guys that's drawing those comparisons. Um, UCLA has has uh, Thomas Welsh. Thomas that's Welsh, pretty much it. And then I, Cody Riley, who I mentioned earlier, who might right. be there. Um, Arizona State doesn't have any really just dominating big men. Utah doesn't. Colorado doesn't. 
Oregon State has Eubanks, but you know I, I don't know if if I would view Eubanks as a guy that scares a ton down on the block. He's super athletic, very good player. I just don't know if he's a banger. Um, so yeah, there's not really those those guys. You know, we might see a good test day two of the PK80 tournament. I was going to say that, that when yeah. Oregon plays potentially Michigan State, who I think is number one or number two in the country. Yeah, they are, <laughs> and their strength is up front. I mean, Miles Bridges probably isn't a five; he's maybe a, a three or a four, but he is physically and physical and big. And then they bring in a five, a couple five star recruits down low. So yeah, that's certainly going to be a test. But yeah, I, I think you know, and that, that, but like we said. I'm comparing Oregon to Arizona and USC, and those two teams do have, I think, some of those big guys that, that make things difficult. And that's where my big concern is. Uh, I think we're in agreement here. Oregon's biggest concern kind of going into this year is how they handle the, the lack of size up front, mm-hmm. um, whether that's going to be a hindrance of them winning the league or going deep in the tournament. We don't know. Uh, but how they handle that, what kind of adjustments and rotations uh, does Dana Altman make? Um, why, would they, why would this team – win the conference championship for a third straight year? I think because they're going to be a lot more dangerous offensively than than we expected, and I think maybe potentially more dangerous offensively than even last year's team. Um, last year's team was was really strong defensively. I don't see this team having – maybe they have the potential to do that, but you know, just having watched them for two games, I don't see that mentality quite yet. But what I do see and, and what I was really impressed with in the two exhibition games was, was kind of the – not only their ability to, to shoot it from three, but how many guys can do it. I think this team legitimately has, and, and Cage can kind of shoot from three, but I would have said prior to him being on the team, nine out of their ten rotation guys or scholarship guys are capable of shooting it from three. I think Kenny Wooten's probably the only one I would leave off that list. And that's a huge, huge you know, th- thing to have because Oregon can put out multiple rotations where they have all five guys capable of spreading the court and shooting from three. And then in basketball today, with the way it's kind of developing, boy, is that a luxury. And, you know, I think that, you know, if they get hot on any given night, just like we saw Oregon against Arizona at MK last year, and they just completely blew them out because they got hot from three, I think this year's team can continue to do that and do that maybe even on a more, you know, consistent basis just because it's not just, you know, Dorsey and Pritchard and Ennis. It's six more guys that can really, you know, separate – you know, on the court and, and shoot from three. And to me, that's maybe what separates them if we're looking at best-case scenarios that this team's able to score the ball at an even better and more efficient club than last year. Yeah, I think uh, we're, we're pretty similar in agreement here. I, I look at this Oregon team, and I think back to the Elite Eight season, and the reason why they were so good, you know, the reason why they were able to get by with little depth, they basically had a seven-man rotation, was because... They had a lot of guys that could play a, a ton of different positions. True. Yeah. And I think you know, going into last year, um, Oregon probably played a little bit different style of basketball than they would have preferred under Dana Altman because they didn't have, you know, they lost from the Elite Eight team, Elgin Cook and Dwayne Benjamin, um, two guys who on any given night in the Pac-12 could you could put both of those guys as your center and power forward. And then six minutes later, you could sub in <clears throat> Chris Boucher and Jordan Bell, and those guys slide down to small forward and shooting guard. In right. um, the Final Four season, I think the talent was better. It was obviously better. But the positions and the rotations and the possibilities that they had 
were drastically reduced because they didn't have Elgin Cook and Dwayne Benjamin on the team. They'd signed Keith Smith hoping he could kind of fill in that type of a role, and he had to battle knee injuries his freshman year you know, until the very end of the year when he kind of got healthy. But then at that point, you know, you, you couldn't really trust him because he hadn't played all year, and you're playing the most important games of the season. Um, and that just left Jordan Bell and Dylan Brooks as guys that could play multiple spots, three or four spots. You know, J- Jordan could basically guard five through three, or five through one defensively, yeah. play one through three offensively. Um, Dylan Brooks was playing all five positions for Oregon. But then you had Tyler Dorsey, who was basically, you know, on the wing or point guard. You had Pritchard, who was basically playing point guard or, or sometimes off the ball. NS was playing wing or point guard. But you didn't have a lot of those guys that could play three or more. And I think this year's team has that. I look at Troy Brown, mm-hmm. a guy who some days might be playing a lot of power forward within the offense or you know guarding power forwards, and then other times playing point guard for this team. I look at uh, McIntosh as a, as a guy that's going to be a lot like Elgin Cook. Um, I, I think that they've just got a ton of possibilities, and Dana is a really good coach, and his staff is really good. Uh, I, I think one underlying here thing that we don't give him enough attention to is his assistants. And Kevin McKenna, before he came to Oregon, was the head coach of Indiana State, a team that was winning games, ending the years with winning records. And in the mid-major level, that's pretty difficult in itself. And he, you know, there was consensus that he was getting them close to competing for, you know, the Missouri Valley Conference championship and getting to the NCAA berth. He gave up that job to be an assistant under Dana, and you've got basically two head coaches on this staff. Right. They are very good at X's and O's. And with the possibilities that they have, I think a team that's completely loaded of athleticism and length that we haven't seen at Oregon or Altman or ever, I think this team will find, you know, they might have a, a bad game against Arizona, but if they can buy in on, on, on the defensive end of the court, understand their roles offensively, they're gonna, like you said, they're gonna score a ton of points because they're gonna find mismatches. They're gonna do their 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 motion where they constantly are, are screening for each other and rolling. And eventually, what you're gonna happen have happen is you're gonna have Troy Brown locked up on a center because teams are gonna switch and that's gonna be an automatic layup for Oregon. Or you're gonna have Elijah Brown on on power forward, what have you. Um, I and on a defensive end, it's not really gonna hurt them when they switch. So I, I think. They finish higher than, than their preseason ranking because Oregon's going to have a ton of combinations, a ton of depth, and a lot of guys that can score in all three phases of the game, and that's going to make up for their rebounding issues. Uh, projecting the starting lineups. Yeah. This is, I think, you know, the last two seasons, it was kind of pretty much a given. Who was starting, who was coming off the bench. This season, Completely up in the air. You could have a ton of combinations. Right. I think it's safe to say Peyton Pritchard's starting, and I think it's safe to say that Elijah Brown is starting. Um, the other three spots? I think Troy Brown's starting too, don't you? I, I know he's a freshman. Maybe he wants to the first game, but I think by yeah. the end of the season. I, I, I think Troy Brown eventually will start. Wouldn't surprise me one bit, though, if Dana doesn't start him on Friday. Right. And I, well, and Dana even, I, I asked Dana after, because last, last game they, they started four true freshmen in McIntosh, a completely different lineup than they started the previous game. He basically said, they were the different five guys. In the right. I'm not sure he's taking it too seriously right now. So projecting who they're going to start <coughs> against Coppin State on Friday is a different animal than who they're going to probably start 
um, you know, in the back end of the conference play in February and March. Um, I, I, I agree. Obviously, I think that backcourt seems pretty, pretty locked in. I think Pritchard starting at the point and Elijah Brown, a guy who's averaged 19 to 22 points a game the last two years, seems pretty much locked into that other guard spot. But I think Troy Brown, you know, he's a five star. He's probably the most talented recruit they brought in in, in over a decade. Um, certainly one of the most versatile players they've ever brought in. Uh, incredibly talented. And a guy, like you said, who can play with the ball in his hands, can play off ball, can guard a bunch of different spots. I think he starts at the three. Um, and then it gets kind of interesting because you've got a lot of different combinations up front. Personally, Kenny Wooten's a guy that I've been a big fan of um, since he committed. And through two games and exhibition play, I remain uh, uh, somebody that thinks he's got a huge ceiling. And, and probably just because... He's the only guy on this team who I think is a true rim protector. Yeah. Um, and I probably would say, I think at some point, you know, if their best lineup, I think he starts with a five. And, and then at power forward, I probably would go with Mikhail McIntosh just because he's kind of that bruising, rugged power forward that they need that can kind of get some of that dirty work done. I think that's probably, in my, in my mind, their, their, their best starting five. Now, I don't necessarily think that's what they'll be doing. Early on in the season, or even with the land on, but I, I think if I was projecting, that would be my my five. I I somewhat agree with you. I think Pritchard opening day starting lineup. I think um, we're gonna see some kind of combination um, of five that may, that's made up of Peyton Pritchard, Elijah Brown, Makai McIntosh, uh, Paul White, and Troy Brown. Yeah. Um, I, I think that's going to be the the five. Roman Sorkin um, might push his way in and start at the center position, and Troy Brown come off the bench, and the Ducks basically go with Pritchard, Brown, White, McIntosh, and, and Sorkin. Dana going with experience early. Um, he's he's done that in the past. He, True. Just until guys kind of prove themselves that they're ready at the biggest stage. I think Troy Brown will start. Um, it just wouldn't it wouldn't surprise me if he came off the bench. Just knowing Altman's previous yeah. lineups, when they've got huge changes like this, he always kind of leans towards experienced, you know, veteran players. Uh, but eventually, I think Paul White's going to come off the bench eventually, and he's going to be kind of like that sixth man, kind of like what Dwayne Benjamin was, almost playing starter minutes, but coming off the bench and being well, Chris that, Boucher last or, year. Yeah, Chris Boucher last year. You know, being that that. Starter, but basically coming off the bench a six and, and playing against you know rotation guys, not starter guys, and, and dominating because he's more talented. And I think, like you said, Kenny Wooten's eventually going to start because they need rim protection, um, and he's the only guy on this team that can provide it. And he's going to remind a lot of people of, of Jordan Bell this season. I think he's further along in terms of his skill development than Jordan Bell was as a freshman, yeah. not not as a redshirt junior. Right, it's not even close. Um, but from where they were comparing the two as true freshmen, uh, Kenny Wooten's farther along, and I think he's going to be kind of the surprise player uh, on this team. And one, one one more thing before we make some bold picks, and maybe this kind of is a bold pick. Yeah. Um, how many? There's a lot of true freshmen on this team. Victor Bailey, Troy Brown. Women mentioned Wooten, Bailey was yeah, great in exhibition. Wooten, um, and then we've also got MJ Cage, who's a redshirt freshman, and he will qualify as well. Uh, but 
how many guys make the all freshman team from Oregon? Because they're going to rely a lot on. They are going to rely on a lot, and it's also worth noting that the conference has some really, really good players. You mentioned Arizona, but they've got USC's got a couple good players. UCLA's got good players. Stanford's got a couple good freshmen. Um, I want to say there's five guys that were McDonald's All Americans coming into the, the Pac-12. That sounds sounds odd. And, and, and well, Oregon, believe, Oregon State's got good players coming in, too. And I believe they have 19 that are in the top 100 of 24-7 sports as recruiting rankings. So that, that, that makes my, this question even more difficult to me. I, I think I think realistically Troy Brown um, will be a first-team all-conference freshman um, just because of the pedigree. He, he's probably arguably the, the second or third most talented player coming in um, in the conference as a freshman. Um, and... I, I think Wooten, if, if there's going to be a, I think probably two, because I think Wooten would be the second one. I think Bailey, if if they hadn't signed Elijah Brown as a transfer and he started, he could be capable of scoring 12, 13 minutes and earning a spot. But I think his minutes are going to be kind of in flux, so I, I would probably be surprised if he earns a, a spot just because the conference is really strong. Right. But I, I think I think you could see Wooten make a spot there because I think he's going to I think he's going to start or play crucial minutes all season. And I think he's going to be probably their their only real rim protector. And I wouldn't be surprised if he's one of the more prolific shot blockers in the conference. A guy that kind of like Jordan Bell as a freshman blocks, you know, two, two and a half shots a game. Yeah, I would agree with you. I think this team's going to have two. Uh, Troy Brown's the one that's a given. I think Victor Bailey or Kenny Wooten, one of the two is going to make this team. because, And I I don't think it's going to be an indicator that... These are the five most talented players in the Pac-12 that are true freshmen. Um, but Oregon's in a position where uh, they're going to ask a ton from their from their true freshmen. And so they're going to have an opportunity to put up a ton of stats. Uh, whereas a, a program like Arizona, Aiton's going to play a lot. Right. He, will be on the, he will be on the team. Um, but they've got a couple other guys that might – that are you know, five-star prospects, high four-star players – but they're not going to have to play 20 minutes a game. They might play only eight, eight to 15 minutes, and not get the the same kind of chances that uh, Oregon's freshmen are going to get to make that list. But I look at this team. I think there's two. Um, whether that's Wooten or whether that's uh, Victor, he goes. He also goes by VJ Bailey. You want to be calling him? Is he going Victor or VJ? Ah, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll wait for we'll him figure to figure it out. out. Okay. Um, I think they get two guys on there. Okay. Um, bold picks. For me, I'll, 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 I'll leave this one off. Um, I think for the third straight year in a row, they're going to make at least the Sweet 16. Um, wow. And I think this is going to be a team that's going to have you know, a very realistic chance at the very end of the year going into the tournament of a feel of third straight year of an Elite Eight team. Um, I think, obviously, you can't. it's difficult to make those kind of projections because you don't know matchups and, and whatnot. But I think just on paper, going into the tournament – there, there's going to be that talk that this is a team that's they get the right matchup, they've got the talent to get to the Elite Eight. I think they're going to get to the Sweet 16 for the third straight year. And, and I, fourth in five years. And fourth in five, yeah. I, I think they protect protect their home court once again. I think... I don't yeah, think we haven't even talked about that. 42 straight home I, winning I, streak. I, I, think, I, think, I think they're going to win all their home games again. And, and there are some tough ones. I mean, you, we, can look, we can run through them, but non-conference play, you look at it, it it's... I think they play nine home... Non-conference games and none of them are particularly scary, um, but in conference play there, there are some tough ones there. And I, I just think though that this team is—they have such an edge when they play at Matthew Arena, and this team is still talented enough to beat. I believe Arizona, who 
I believe visits Matthew Knight District. Am I wrong? Yes, they beat Arizona last year. So home games this season, Coppin State, Prairie View, Alabama State, Ball State, uh, and then they play Boise State at home, Colorado State. Plus states in there. Yeah, Texas Southern, Portland State, Central Arkansas, and then they get um, home games to end the slate uh, against Utah, Colorado, USC, UCLA, Oregon State, Washington, Washington State, Arizona, Arizona, Arizona State, Arizona. Last home game of the year on Senior Night, Arizona. That's going to be a doozy. That's good. That's a tough. That's a tough home slate. That's a, the, the Pac-12. Pac-12 wise, yeah. Non-conference, non-conference is very anymore. easy. Very, very should be very easy. Boise State has actually given Oregon some some fits the last couple of years. Beat them two years ago. Yeah, and so that could be a borderline tough game, perhaps. But yeah, I think I think I look at that and I go. Okay, there, there, there are probably only three games in that that list that really scare you, and that would be the the LA schools and then Arizona, and I think Oregon finds a way to get it done and, and once again runs the table in, in, in at home. And then we'll close up shop here uh, with National Signing Day. Um, obviously, today, November eighth, Wednesday, it's the first day of of a week long period of of recruiting period where recruits can sign uh, their letters of intent and lock things in, and the Ducks have. Uh, landed two verbal, two, not verbal commitments, but they've landed now two signings. Uh, the first one is Lewis King, a 6'8 power forward from, or small forward from New Jersey, who's ranked as the 16th best player in the country by 24-7 sports. And then Miles Norris, a power forward, he's 6'10 out of, uh, Brewster Academy, New Hampshire, but he's originally from San Diego, who's playing his final year at, a, at an academy school. Uh, he's listed as the 73rd best player in the country. So a five-star, Lewis King is the Ducks' third highest prospect to ever sign with the Ducks. Norris is, is 12th. They're 25th in the conference, in the national rankings, I believe fourth in the Pac-12 as of today. But there's, like we mentioned on the site, we've said elsewhere, uh, the number one best player in the class of 2018, R.J. Barrett, is deciding on Friday between Oregon, Kentucky, and Duke. And then the number three overall player in the class is Bull Bull. He's deciding between Kentucky and Oregon uh, sometime in the next week or so, and both you know Oregon's legit players for both. So huge opportunities to to, to jump up. Your biggest impressions addressing needs with this class? I, well, we've talked about what my concerns are on this team, and it's guys up front, and they get two of them right here who who are very talented and once again very versatile. Um, Louis King lists as small forward, probably more than likely plays power forward, depending on how the, I guess the the roster plays out. But more than likely, feels like a guy who's going to play power forward for Oregon, and and he's extremely talented. Um, you mentioned that they're after some some real headliners, some you know top player in the country, the third best player in the country. Well, Louis King, most years would be far and away, you know, the best prospect they would sign, and he could be considered sort of an afterthought. Obviously, right now he remains the headliner and. And I think rightfully so. Really, really talented. Can stretch the floor. At, you know, at six foot eight, can can finish at the rim. You know, really athletic and aggressive. So he's a big time player. And and I think you said it on Twitter. Miles Norris is kind of Chris Boucher two point Yeah, yeah. You go watch the highlights of these two players. Um, both are six ten. Both are incredibly long players. Both are freakish athletes at that size. Yeah. And both can shoot threes. Both can just throw it down like no one's business for dunks. Um, but Norris is probably from where Boucher was as a junior and where Norris is at as a high school senior, he's probably farther along yeah. 
and skill development. He's a better dribbler. He's a better passer. Not as good, I think, as a, as a shot blocker. We'll see about rebounding perspective. But this is a guy, he's going to be here for two or three years, I think, at Oregon. And he's he's going to remind Duck fans a ton of Chris Boucher in that he can shoot threes. He's a really big body. He can dunk a lot of baskets. And he can dunk from all over the, all over the court. Um, I think the, my biggest takeaway is Dana continues to in, improve the team athleticism, improve the team length, and continue to find guys that can play multiple positions. Because Norris, you know, talking with his his personal trainer that he he's worked out with for three or four years, Sterling Jones, um, we talked to him when he did his commitment back in the spring. Norris can also play small forward. That's something Boucher in Oregon didn't really try all that often. Um, Luke King is a guy that can, you know, talking with him, um, the biggest thing I, t- I took away from him is his love for playmaking and, and getting the ball to his teammates, a la Troy Brown. Troy Brown. Mm-hmm. You know, very similar you know, frames and, and whatnot uh, for, for both those players. So Dana continues to stock the, the cupboard here with elite talent, continues to find ways to improve his positionless, air quotes, basketball system. And uh, Oregon's on, 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 on track to have their greatest – Recruiting class and, and program history. Here's a good question, probably to tie up the recruiting aspect in the podcast as a whole. From George Christopher, what do you think the percentage is for Bull Bull and RJ Barrett, the two players you mentioned earlier, Matt? Um, I said Bull Bull on Whispers in the Woods. I said Bull Bull was. A, I felt confident. My confidence level was high mm-hmm. for him going going to Oregon. I picked Bull Bull to go to Oregon. Um, I have not. I put in a crystal ball for Bull Bull to go to Oregon. I have not put in a crystal ball uh, to go with R.J. Barrett. I probably will not put in a crystal ball to go with R.J. Barrett because uh, in my whispers in the woods, I predicted he would go to Duke, and my confidence level I described it as low because I don't feel confident in that um, in that pick. I I think Duke is the perceived leader uh, by a slight margin here. Um, you go by the crystal ball. They've got about it's it's a lot higher a margin. Yeah. Um, or I think Oregon doesn't have a crystal ball at all for for RJ Barrett, and it's an eighty six percent percentile pick for Duke. But the person who knows Barrett the most, knows Barrett's family the most, is a reporter out of Canada that runs a website called North Pole Hoops. Uh, he covers college basketball, high school basketball, high school recruiting uh, at the Canadian level, and He's a he runs a great resource for Canadian recruiting targets. You know, more and more kids are coming north, are coming from the north yeah. uh, into the United States from Canada. And it's kind of turned into a hotbed. And he he did a story with twenty four seven Sports where he said if he had the ability to crystal ball somebody uh, for for RJ Barrett, it would be Oregon um, because of the, the Canadian pipeline, the friendship with the Buki Gab, a, a true freshman out of Oregon, and the loyalty factor to the Oregon program in in the fact that you know. Oregon, he, he kind of said, Oregon is a bigger program in Canada and yeah. more importantly in Toronto than Kentucky is because of their frequency of going in there, which blew my mind. That, away. I was going to say, that was to me, I mean, regardless of what RJ Barrett does, and obviously if he picks Oregon, that's a monumental thing, but reading like somebody who's up in Canada say that Oregon has a bigger presence in Canada and that Toronto area than Kentucky was just like, really? That's really? crazy. Because we all know Kentucky's pull in the United States, and I think that puts into perspective of why Oregon has had so much success with with, with Canadian recruits. Because 
you know, up there. Oregon is considered a power, and I think they're starting to build that, you know, perception in the United States as well. But um, maybe this is one of those things where where the Duke pick is is probably the trendy pick. But who knows? Maybe people are surprised on on Friday when he makes his call. Yeah, he makes his decision Friday at 3 p.m. Pacific time. Um, he's doing it on uh, Canada's TSN Sports. It's the TSN uh, Sports Network, mm-hmm. um, Toronto Sports Network. Basically ESPN. Yeah, Canada. basically ESPN. Um, he's doing it 6 o'clock his time, 3 p.m. Pacific time. Previously, uh, I don't know why, but you, people from the United States can't watch streams from TSN's uh, website. It's blocked to just Canadians only. Um, so we'll have to see if there's an actual uh, live link somewhere uh, for that to pick. If you're wanting to watch that, we'll find it. We'll put it out. Um, but as of right now, I don't know of a way to, to watch it. Um, I know he's going to eventually tweet it out as well. Uh, but right. we'll have to wait until Friday. And it's going to be a really just crazy day for Oregon basketball on Friday. Season opener, the against Coppin State. They're probably going to do some kind of celebration for the Final Four team for last year, some kind of at least honoring, maybe raising a banner or whatnot. Um, and then on top of that, you also got the number one recruit in the, in the class of 2018 who would be the highest-rated player to ever sign with Oregon. I don't think Oregon has signed the number one player in any sport. At, at, that would be an at, interesting at, fact to track. Yeah. Um, and Oregon's got a legit chance to, to get that that pedestal knocked off. So, yeah. uh Friday is going to be a crazy day for Oregon basketball. Uh, you can go to duckterritory.com to read all about it. Um, we've got full recaps up right now on uh, recruiting, uh, signing day, team coverage, as well as football stuff as well. Don't So if you're listening to us and you still want to just dive right in head deep and, and scoop up as much information on the football team, don't worry. That's going to be, as usual, standard operation for us right now uh, for football. Uh, basketball just is going to start ramping up here a little bit more as well. So, uh, tons of stuff on DuckTerritory.com. I, I encourage you guys to go there uh, and find us on iTunes again uh, by searching for the Duck Territory Podcast. We're free. Uh, and until we talk to you probably sometime next week, since there's no football game for a podcast, uh, we will talk to you next week talking Oregon, Arizona for football and also recapping uh, Oregon basketball's first weekend of play for the 2017-2018 season. Thanks, guys. See you guys.